Hey, I'm Ashley McGee. I'm a health coach, military officer, and military spouse. I'm passionate about helping military women live their happiest and most abundant lives by improving their health. If you're looking for actionable tips and tricks to get healthier while balancing your hectic life, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Healthy Women Warriors podcast. So I am stoked right now because I believe this is a three-peat. My favorite resident dietitian that I have on speed dial, but also is just amazing, Mary Catherine. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I always love when we get to communicate and collaborate because we just have so many of like the same ideas and principles. So thanks so much for having me. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, I feel like every time we get talking, we're like, okay, we could talk about this forever, but we actually need to like end this at some point. <laughs> yes, for real. <laughs> so, um, because you're a three-peat, you know, I'm not going to go through the normal questions I ask everyone, right? Um, but I'm, I'm bringing you back on to talk about something specifically that I get a lot of questions on. I think it's something that it's a term that people throw around a lot and maybe don't really know, A, what to do with it and B, like how to maybe move through and past it. And that is food addiction. So, um, I, I don't have, you know, pre-written questions. I kind of just open conversation. So let's start with just kind of what is your, what's your initial like take on, on, on food addiction? Yeah. So without diving into the actual science and clinical and diagnosis and all that type of stuff, I just want to preface by saying that, you know, whether or not someone has food addiction, they're not a food addict. So we need to be cautious with just throwing these labels around and using labels to dismiss the problem and, and ignore the underlying root causes. So when we're talking about this, it's really important to understand that even if you have or have been diagnosed with food addiction, or you think you might have it, you still have control. If you just think of as well as like, you know, substance use addiction, for example, it is a part of our brain. There is a lot of science to it. At the end of the day, if you go through the right processes, if you address the underlying causes, there is that chance for you to be in recovery. So I just caution that, you know, when we're talking about this, don't just use the label, but instead of really try to dig in and work with someone who can dig into what's inspiring these behaviors. So that's just kind of my soapbox to get started. But in terms of food addiction, so it was first introduced in the 50s and then it kind of like went away and then resurfaced in like the 2000s. And a lot of people tried to draw parallels between substance use disorder and food addiction, even though not all the criteria necessarily fit. But when we're thinking about this in like our day-to-day life and how it can affect us, whether or not we have that diagnosis, typically food addiction is associated with like high sugar, high fat foods. And that's because they release feel-good chemicals. So you have, you know, your giant bowl of ice cream, for example, you'll probably get like a temporary high with those kind of reward hormones. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is great. And so you kind of chase that by trying to, again, reach out for those high fat, high sugar foods, which we also see in times of stress. So again, when we're looking at kind of these labels, we want to think of what's causing it. And you might be reaching for those foods out of stress more than the food addiction itself. So I want to make a little bit of a distinction, or maybe you can help me make this distinction because when we're talking about food addiction, part of it sounds really clinical. Like it it could actually be like diagnosable versus 
I mean, I think a lot of people throw around like, oh, like I can't kick my sugar cravings. I'm addicted to sugar. So what, what is that distinction and how can you learn that for yourself where you're at in, in that kind of spectrum? Yeah. So to be honest, it is a little bit hard to have like a concrete answer with this, partly because on the clinical side, the, the diagnosis of food addiction does not exist. There's no, you know, specific criteria. Um, we have what's called the Yale Food Addiction Scale that can be used. But when I looked at this, and I work a lot with individuals who eat emotionally, who might have mm-hmm. like more of those stress eating patterns. And when I look at this scale, a lot of the things overlap. So it is a little bit hard to really distinguish between the two. But what I would suggest is really looking at what are what behavior is leading you to the food is leading you to the sugar and then think if you can change that behavior does it change and i think you know just to kind of make this more of a concrete example you've had a really long day you're super stressed out your kids are finally asleep or the dogs are finally in their crates or whatever it might be and you you know grab ice cream or you grab a glass of wine or whatever it might be and that's you know you're just unwinding but what if you don't have a long day and, you know, things aren't super chaotic? Are you still reaching for that bowl of ice cream and that red wine every time? Or, you know, was it more that, hey, all this stress kind of precipitated that action of me, you know, eating this high sugar, high fat food or, you know, drinking this wine? Mm. That makes sense. So kind of looking at what the environmental triggers are, or is it a habit? Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've had, I've had some clients where they'll tell me like, I will eat sugary food until I'm sick. Like I, I can't like, cannot stop myself. And to me kind of that, that's a level of like not being able to control it versus, well, this is just a habit, a thing that I'm used to. Just like when you come home from work, you know, the first thing you do is like, go grab a snack. Cause that's, even mm-hmm. if you're not hungry, it's like, that's just the thing that you do. Right. Um, Cause I think that's super common too. Yeah. And like you said, you know, I, I work a lot in my practice with defined nutrition and differentiating is it hunger or is it habit, but you're kind of introducing a third factor there of, you know, is this more of that addiction? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the studies have shown that individuals with disorders such as bulimia or binge eating disorder, have behavioral and like neurochemical changes that are comparable or somewhat comparable to addictive behaviors. So Mm -hmm. in those individuals, you know, it's a lot more common. We see a lot more overlap, but on the day to day, a lot of times it is precipitated by those environmental factors or high stress level or whatever it might be. And I always like to share resources. So one really great resource, if you feel you're, you know, struggling with some type of disordered eating, um, NEDA, National Eating Disorders Association, NEDA, has a screening tool on their website that anyone can take that just says, hey, you may or may not want to seek the help from a professional. Mm. What kind, you know, because there's so many, I know you, I've asked you this before, like, what's the difference between a dietitian and, and a nutritionist, right? But like, so, so in that kind of realm, is it, it's, is it a doctor? Like who, who would treat, like who treats disordered eating? Sure. So 
the way it would formally go. So I'm a registered dietitian. So a registered dietitian, typically a state will require licensure, but then we also have our national credential mm-hmm. and we can treat an already diagnosed condition, but we can't actually diagnose the condition. Mm-hmm. So the person who would do the diagnosing would be a medical provider, such as a doctor or a nurse practitioner. Okay. So it's, it's not very clear answer. Um, mm-hmm. But dietitians ourselves, we don't diagnose it that would come from the medical provider. Okay, yeah, that was purely a question for my own curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a great question. I mean, I think I well, I feel like if I get overwhelmed with all the different titles and things people have, like surely other people must feel this way too. <laughs> yeah, and I will say like, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way. But when it comes to eating behaviors, most doctors are not educated specifically in nutrition. Mm. Um, you actually may have more success working with like a psychologist if you have, um, you know, these eating behaviors driven by trauma or past negative experience or whatever it might be. Sometimes they can be a little bit more helpful. So when I'm working with clients on their disordered eating, their mindset, a lot of times I will refer to a therapist because mm-hmm. they can dive deeper into those underlying factors that I can't as a dietitian. Yeah, that's a really good point. So if someone is struggling, but they think they're kind of more in the DIY side rather than, you know, the clinical side, what are some things that people can do to regain control of their body, really? Yeah. So our slogan at Defy Nutrition is defy the rules, defy yesterday's you. So Mm -hmm. I don't preach any, you know, all or nothing diet, but instead what I focus on is adding. So instead of thinking, Hey, I need to take out the sugar. What can we add to your diet to make it more Mm well-rounded? So for example, I had a client earlier today who um, struggles with her energy levels. She struggles with stress eating. Um, and she loves sweet. She loves chocolate. And so rather than say, Hey, we're going to cut that out. Instead, I actually built chocolate based snacks into her meal plan, but just complemented it with something else. So instead of just having pure chocolate, we're having, you know, dark chocolate with almonds, um, or, you know, maybe you're having chocolate hummus with bananas and strawberries dipped in it. So rather than, you know, taking out the sugar, thinking I can't eat sugar, what can you add to make that item more balanced? And I go to chocolate because it is very common, but there's other sweets, you know, it would apply to other sweets as well. Um, Spacing on some other ones right now, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) So we just want to, you know, balance it out where like, okay, maybe if I'm going to have um, these Skittles, I'm also going to have some grapes. Or, you know, something just to balance it out. And then also, you know, on that note, saying the grapes part, if we can get sugar from fruit, that's going to, you know, help our sweet tooth as well. And one mm-hmm. tip is actually if we heat up starches, so if we heat up fruit, it actually releases more of the sugar. So if you're craving something super sweet, you can actually like microwave an apple and it's going to taste sweeter than if you just ate the apple whole. So there's kind of like tricks, tricks and hacks that you can use to like incorporate sugar without going to sugar. Um, okay. You just blew my mind. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> so wait, let's so like, like, I mean, do you just like throw an apple in the microwave for like 10 seconds or whatever? And, and like, I'm, I know this is totally an aside, but like, uh, you just, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. 
So I usually will slice it and put some cinnamon and a tiny bit of water in it and then microwave it. So it's like a, like you're making applesauce, but you're not boiling it. Like it's just kind of that, is it mushy? I'm so concerned. I, no, so I, I literally now. do like 30 seconds. I don't want like a mushy apple or I would eat applesauce. Um, so I just do 30 seconds, but you could do it with any fruit. So like a lot of times in the summer, we talk about grilled fruits. That's going to mm-hmm. bring out their sweetness mm-hmm. or like a broiled grapefruit, like literally five minutes with some cinnamon in the oven on broil. What? Heat it up. It's amazing. I feel like that's like the, the fact of the episode. I know we're talking <laughs> about like really important things, but like, uh, yeah, my mind is just blown. <laughs> It's awesome though, right? Like it's, it's why like when we're cooking, when we're baking cookies, like you get that kind of like brown caramel color. It brings mm-hmm. out a lot of the sweetness. And then it's the same process if we're using like fruit or even milk. So if you have like a cafe au lait, which is coffee with steamed milk, you probably don't need to add as much sugar as if you had gotten like the coffee with cold milk. Yep. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, this audio form is <laughs> just <laughs> yeah I'm like mind um, blown man that's amazing you've probably heard me talk about food being either a fuel or a toxin and that includes what's in your food things like antibiotics or pesticides which is why I talk a lot about eating organic produce but this also extends to your meat quality in fact Finding quality meat can be really difficult, which is why I only get my meat from ButcherBox. I get everything from my chicken, seafood, ground beef, and I do get a free pack of bacon in every box. And it's a game changer. It really, you can taste the difference in the quality of the meat. And I love having the peace of mind knowing that what I'm eating is not only good for my body, but also created with sustainable farming practices and ethical deaths for the animals. So if you want to check out ButcherBox and get $15 off your first box, grab the link in the show notes and give it a try. I promise you'll love it. Okay. So, but I love, I do want to go back to now I need to, I'm recentering myself. Woo. Okay. (laughs) Um, but I I love that you talk about the balance piece of it. Right. And and I love you kind of threw it in there. You, you've, uh, (laughs) you've rebranded your, your company to define nutrition, which I love, 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 because, uh, we're, we're not about the, the diet culture bullshit here. Um, hell yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I think that that's a significant, mindset shift for a lot of people when they've been living in a reality of either calories in calories out, which we know is also bullshit, um, you know, or doing some specialized diet where it's like, I, but I I can't eat this thing. My, my favorite example is like keto, right? Where it's like, I can't eat carbs. I love fruit, but I can't eat carbs. It's like, there's a time and place for nutritional ketosis, but like, also let's not create damaging, uh, uh, relationship mm-hmm. with food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? yep. So with that, like, do you find over time your clients do start to either cut those cravings or feel less reliant on them because, because it's allowed. Like, I feel like half the time when we crave something, it's because in our brain, we're like, we, well, I can't eat that. It's bad. It's not allowed. When you remove that piece, 
how does that change your relationship with the food? Oh, it's amazing. So honestly, I had another client this week who, when we first came and she started working with me. So when I'm working with clients, I always say, we're not resetting your metabolism, we're resetting your mindset. Because at the end of the day, that is going to go a lot further. And so, you know, I was talking to this client, say, okay, we're at our halfway point working together, you know, what's changed? And one of the things that change is we don't use good and bad to label food anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, sometimes it will come up. It's not an overnight process. Results don't come overnight. I, it took years for me to get to this point. But just taking out that label, all of a sudden, we're taking out the like sinfulness of eating because mm-hmm. we have to eat to survive. The morality, yeah. Right, exactly. So we're removing that morality. And instead, we're just saying, hey, I want to nourish my body. I want that fuel. I want to be able to, you know, perform whatever that means to you, whether it's walking, running, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. So when we focus on that mindset piece, it's liberating. And then when you're no longer labeling foods as good and bad, Mm -hmm. and you're realizing like, hey, I can't eat that chocolate. I'm just, you know, combining it with something else that's giving me more nutrition. It's not so restrictive. And I love what you said of like, when we know we can't have it, we want it more. And the best example is like, if you bring a kid into a candy shop and tell the kid they can't buy a single thing, they're going to want everything in that store. If you walk by that store and they're like, hey, mom, can I get that? And you're like, sure, why not? That's it, right? They have their one and done. Like they want this one food, that's it. But if you tell them, no, you can't even go in that store. You can't eat a single thing in that store. They're probably going to want all of it. And honestly, that behavior leads to more detrimental relationships partly because now we're encouraging people to do things in private like it's not socially acceptable so hey i'm gonna just eat the snack when no one's looking and then i'm gonna hide the wrapper somewhere and it's very common when we have that negative relationship with food is we end up becoming embarrassed by this thing that we need to sustain our lives yeah oh my gosh i was just listening to i think it was like an npr story a book just came out uh and it's the author is um, a reporter on NPR, but she has had like disordered eating for like 40 years. And like her family didn't know because she hid it so well. And the biggest piece she had to like work on was just being okay with like eating around people. Yeah. And it's, it's so common. I mean, even for myself, I never had a label, but I had an eating disorder with a combination of anorexia, orthorexia, so under eating, over exercising. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to this day, I have, you know, my little cousins be like, man, you were like, so skinny, how'd you do it? And they had no idea that it just came by, you know, starving myself and having this absolutely terrible relationship with food mm-hmm. where like, I would not eat. And if I did eat, I would work out way more. And you know, just like you didn't earn a shower this morning, you don't earn food, right? You don't have to do something just to eat it. You you need food to survive. And so a lot of times it goes unnoticed until someone starts to really unpack everything with someone. Yeah. How, if I can ask, I assume, I mean, having a, an eating disorder like that it like it, it does wreak havoc on your metabolism. How are you able to heal your body from that process? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. And that's part of the reason why when I do my business, I do it based on my education and my personal experience is only a fraction of that. 
Mm. Um, when I was at my thinnest, I was honestly on the verge of dying because my heart rate was so low. And, you know, as I was slowly reintroducing food, um, when you restrict for a long time, your, your digestive system's all messed up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I really had to take time to recalibrate that on a personal note, they put me on birth control, like way before I even needed it because I was so irregular with my eating disorder. And so I think in a way that probably helped my hormones stay normal because I wasn't getting my period because I wasn't Mm -hmm. feeding my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's really personal, but you know, people ask, they want to know how it works. So, um, you know, slowly reintroducing food. So I didn't overwhelm my body. I wasn't super um, content with reintroducing it. It was a lot of mind work and mind games. And Mm -hmm. I would literally go from eating four carrots to six carrots. And it's a very, very slow, arduous process. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I really got thrusted into recovery. I'll put it that way. I lost my mom when I was at the height of my eating disorder and moved in with my grandparents. And I wasn't allowed to have control anymore. And I wasn't allowed to cook. I wasn't allowed to measure. And it was the toughest love I have ever probably experienced in my life. Mm. But as a result, you know, I was able to get to a healthier weight and um, really kind of threw my body into that recovery. It wasn't a way I really wanted to recover, but that tough love worked. It was very untraditional or maybe it was traditional because, you know, (laughs) they're my grandparents. Um, And, you know, I struggled with my weight through college um, and became a dietitian these last few years. I've been the most steady and stable and happy and content. And a lot of that comes from just affirmations and really that, that mindset piece of, food is okay. Food doesn't have a good or a bad, you know, all foods fit. Foods do exist for comfort purposes. There are some foods I eat simply because they give me nostalgia. And I remember eating them with my mom. Do they offer any nutrition? Absolutely not sometimes, but that's okay. Like, you know, Mm. whether it's to feed our soul or feed our body, it does have a place. And it's just knowing that the moderation is, is key. Mm. Thank you, first of all, for sharing your story. I, I don't think we've really talked about it much before, but um, I think it's so important to have those kind of candid conversations because when you're in the midst of the struggle, it feel it can feel like there's not a, a point at the other end of it. So hearing, you know, someone that's gone through it, and, and now, I mean, you talk about food for a living, <laughs> like yeah, you know, and you help other people with it, so. And I really haven't shared that part of my story very much because mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's part of who I am, but mm-hmm. just like I said at the beginning, you know, being a food addict or not, you know, that's just a label. And so, you know, being someone in recovery is just a label yeah. and I am more than that. I'm a person. And so I think it's important for everyone listening to recognize and understand that you are a person and you are worthy of this life and, and having a positive relationship with food. I love it. I think sometimes too, people make the assumption if you're a health coach or a dietitian, right? Like that you have all of this stuff figured out or, and it's like, no, like, I mean, I'll struggle with, you know, cause I, I'm, I, I like to dabble in bi- biohacking a little bit too. And it's like, okay, here's a food that like, I know like 
literally causes havoc on my cells. Like I know this will cause inflammation in my body. I'm going to eat it anyway, because I know Mm -hmm. how to repair my body after that point. Yeah. So it goes back to the balance piece, but I have to, again, make sure it's like, okay, this is less beneficial for my body. That's what I use instead of good or bad, right? Is this more or less beneficial for your body more? And I think you talk about like nutritional content, Mm -hmm. right? So this is maybe less beneficial for my body, but what can I do to balance out its effects? Um, Mm -hmm. With that takes practice, affirmation, guidance. And I feel like if you are living, if the voice in your head is still putting a morality into it, that may not sound that much different than what I just explained because you can rationalize. So how would you describe like food freedom? Honestly, for me, I describe it as the ability to eat without judgment or guilt mm-hmm. and knowing when my body is mentally and physically satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I've never thought through that definition. So I'm just throwing that together. I love um, it. I'm, <laughs> I am here for it. <laughs> but honestly, when I think about kind of the main things I work on with my clients in terms of, you know, repairing that relationship with food is, One, differentiating hunger from habit. Two, being able to listen to our body. And if you have been a victim of diet culture, it is incredibly hard to do. It takes a lot of time and practice. Amen. Um, (laughs) It's so hard. And, you know, the cues for one person might not be the exact cues for somebody Mm -hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, understanding what those are are really important. And then, you know, if you go to a party and you can fill up a plate and you don't feel like crap for filling it up, then you probably have food freedom. And if you can eat that food and like you said, you might have some, you know, digestive issues or whatever, you know, it's wreaking havoc on your body. Mm-hmm. But if you don't mentally feel like a complete failure, that to me is food freedom. If you can yes. go out and grab a bowl of ice cream and you can eat it and you eat to the point of being full and you're not overdoing it and there's no residual mental distress, that is food freedom. And even if you do overdo it, give yourself the grace of like, all right, like, I have eaten to the point of being uncomfortably full. I'm going to mm-hmm. go just lay on the couch now. This is not exactly, this isn't the most comfortable situation. This is not exactly what I intended, but like, I'm not going to then run five miles every day for the next three days in order to punish myself, right? Like, right. It's, I feel like so often if it's, you fall off the wagon or, or you, you know, it, then, then it's, it's this, it's like just a boulder rolling down a hill. It's like, well, now that one thing's gone, let's just dip, 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 dip. Or it's just stacking guilt on top of each other mm-hmm. and giving yourself that grace to break the cycle and be like, I'm a human. <laughs> I'm not going to be perfect. And that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's hard to do. It is so hard. And you mm-hmm. actually said that and it made me think I'm, I'm coming up with a healthy through the holidays program. So part one is all about preparing for the holidays. Part two is all about treating yourself with love and grace during that holiday season. Mm -hmm. Because in reality, like you said, like it's that boulder effect or the Mm -hmm. snowball effect, or maybe you bury your head in the sand because you just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So many of my clients have that all or nothing thinking and really Mm -hmm. breaking through that and working, you know, with a dietitian or a health coach or whoever it might be to Mm -hmm. dismantle that it is 
it is hard. It is arduous. It requires time and commitment and energy. But oh my gosh, being on the other side of it is so amazing. Absolutely. And for folks that maybe are feeling stagnant or stuck, fun fact stress is the number one thing that causes inflammation in your body. And if you're stuck in your weight, it's probably because of excess inflammation. So truly freeing yourself from that cycle of guilt and shame is actually going to help you lose weight if you're struggling. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, obesity is technically a chronic form of inflammation as well. So you've got that component too. So if you want to feel better overall, I mean, controlling that stress will help control everything else. Mm. So I, I know we're winding down here a little bit because you and I could talk forever. And I'm, I just looked at the time like, oh, yeah, we I normally wind down episodes <laughs> like 10 minutes ago. But um, <laughs> I, it's been a good one. It's OK. I mean, they're always good. It's, it's just it's how it goes with us. And that's a reflection on you, not me. Right. Like, I, I'm not trying to put myself <laughs> up here. but. Um, You mentioned affirmations, and I was wondering if you're comfortable sharing some that maybe will resonate with folks. Um, And I always recommend when it comes to affirmations, like write down three to five, stick them on your mirror and say, look yourself in the eye and say them to yourself every day. Um, It will feel weird. It feels really weird. You need to do it like way more than, yeah, the weirder it feels, the more you need to do it. But are you willing to share some affirmations that maybe help with food freedom? Yeah, for sure. So um, one, I was actually just using with a client who was struggling to prioritize herself. And so we just said, I'm worthy of taking Mm -hmm. the time to prepare my meals. Another one um, is if you have a specific food that you feel guilt around, coming up with an affirmation. So I had someone who could not eat hash browns. um, And they just like would trigger her every single time. And so you know, something like hash browns connect me to my childhood. Um, so something that's going to, you know, give that emotional validation that you're looking for. Another one could be that, like, I embrace my relationship with food. I am empowered to make changes. Um, and then what's one more, um, I'm worthy of honoring my hunger and fullness. Mm. Love it. Those are beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those. I, I really hope, um, you know, folks listening are, are taking notes and, and writing down, especially the ones that are resonating with them. So uh, anything else you want to share or bring up on this topic before we kind of uh, say goodbye for, for this episode? Man, we jammed so much stuff into this. I don't know if I necessarily have anything else to say other than you're not alone and Mm -hmm. finding a group of women who can support and uplift you or men or non-binary, however they identify, finding a group of people who are going to uplift and support you in this journey is so important and making sure one thing I always say and I always ask is who's on your team. So, you know, we all have teams. So whether it's as a family, you might have a financial advisor, a realtor, whatever. When it comes to your healthcare, who's on your team? Who do you go to for your proactive health problems? Like who do you go to for, you know, health coaching or nutrition coaching? Or who do you go to for massage therapy? Mm. Who is on your team? Make sure that that team is well-rounded. And even if you don't use them every day, just Stack your tool belt with all the professionals you can who are on your team so that when you do need them, you have someone that you can reach out to. Wonderful. I 
couldn't agree more. Thank you again for coming back for a, a third time. And I mean, this won't be the last time. Like, let's be honest, it won't. Um, and I'm, I love coming. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board You're with welcome. that. <laughs> um, please share where people can find you, especially with the rebrand you've done for your business. Sure. So my website is defy-nutrition.com. You can actually get a no fail snack guide there. If you visit the website, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, Defy Nutrition. Um, Instagram is defy.nutrition. Just throwing that random little thing in there. Um, But you can find me and reach out to me in any of those ways, website, Instagram, or Facebook. Awesome. And for folks that don't know, uh, you are also the uh, Healthy Women Warriors registered dietitian. So all of my programs that um, have you know, meal plans and things like that come from you. So obviously I love what you do. I love, you know, your philosophy around food and healing your body. And I just love that we get to do this business and life thing together. It's just a blasty blast. Yeah, it absolutely is. I am so happy. My life is much better with you in it. No, you're gonna make me cry. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you again so much, Mary Catherine. And for everyone, keep on living your healthiest and most abundant life. Talk to you again next week. You've just finished another episode of the Healthy Women Warriors podcast. If you like the show, can you do me a favor? Go rate and review it. I would really appreciate it. And once you do, post a picture and tag at Ash McGee Coach so I can shout you out. Talk to you next week.